the Rangers take games one and two of the ALDS, winning both the games on the road and are now one win away from their first ALCS appearance since 2011. We're going to talk about all that and more on this episode of Locked on Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked on Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked on to the Texas Rangers. I'm Bryce Patrick, a criminally addicted Texas Rangers fan covering this team for 10 seasons, including all five as the founder and host of Locked On Rangers. Thank you all so much for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. If you're not already, you can follow me on Twitter at Bryce Patrick. You can follow the show at Locked On Rangers. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube where the best way you can help grow the show is to listen every day and to comment nearly any single thing below. Today is Sunday, October 8th, and your Rangers, they are one win away from an ALCS berth and a matchup against either those stinking Houston Astros or the Minnesota Twins. The Rangers have not lost a single postseason game and they have played four games and they have all been on the road against the two teams with the best records in the American League. We're going to break down what's happened the last couple of games in this ALDS series. But first, this episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now, this Rangers game didn't start off in the best way for Texas. And one of the things that we knew about this home umpire that the broadcast mentioned was that this umpire is was not going to give a very big zone. John Lipka did, a, I think, a really good job of being consistent in this game and not giving a big zone to either pitcher, to any of the pitchers that were in this game. And, you know, that can be really tough on Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery is a guy who relies on being outside the strike zone, inducing some chases, some swings and misses out of the zone. Whereas the Rangers offense is really incredible at staying disciplined and forcing pitchers to get in the zone. Now we've talked about Grayson Rodriguez and I talked about on the preview show on Friday or Thursday night, whenever that actually ended up going live um, that a lot of these Orioles pitchers, they are not, very erratic. These starting pitchers specifically, they are usually pretty good about staying in the strike zone and not walking a whole bunch of guys. Well, uh, that turned out to be uh, not the case. I did say it's a lot of their first playoff games. I think there were six players maybe on this roster that have any postseason experience whatsoever. And um, the Rangers have some postseason experience. They have some veterans in there. And these young guys, well, they weren't quite rattled in the first game, but in this one, the pitching staff, it's just, they were not quite able to hit their spots. And the thing this Rangers lineup does incredibly well is force you to work deep counts to absolutely everybody. And the biggest change you might already be screaming at me is, is Bryce. Why have you not talked about Mitch Garver hitting third? Well, I'm talking about it now, Mitch Garver hitting third in this lineup for the first time in the postseason. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe it took this long for him to hit third in the lineup to offer some protection to Corey Seager, because as we saw in this one, the Baltimore Orioles are absolutely terrified of Corey Seager destroying them. Absolutely terrified of what he could do to them. And you need a guy like Mitch Garver, who is one of your best hitters, to be the protection in the lineup if they work around Corey Seager, as they did five walks for Corey Seager in this one, which is an MLB postseason record. Nobody has ever walked five times in a game before. And Corey Seager was just really, I think he got maybe one pitch to hit all day. 
maybe one pitch to hit all day and he fouled it off. I'm sure he was real mad at himself for that. And I was in a big spot with runners in scoring position. I believe I remember correctly. Um, but Mitch Garver said, don't worry. Don't worry. I got you. I got your protection. Had a two hit day, including a grand slam. The first Rangers playoff grand slam since the walk-off grand slam in the ALCS in 2011 by of course the one, the only Nelson freaking Cruz. Mm. What a day for this offense that, you know, you may be thinking, oh, well, if you're just tuning in and you didn't watch the game, you thought, oh, well, the Rangers scored 11 runs, so they must have had a bunch of homers. They must have had a bunch of guys on base, a bunch of extra base hits. And that really wasn't the case. And that's the thing that I love about this offense is that they don't have to beat you with the home run ball. They don't have to beat you with the extra base hit. They can just beat you by walking 11 times in a game. 11 times, 11 hits, and they were actually out hit by the Orioles, 14 hits by those Baltimore Orioles. And they only had two walks that they took off of Rangers pitchers, which is a reason why this Rangers staff was so good, or at least good enough in this one. But this is all about the offense. It's about everybody in this offense coming through. One of their, their other two extra base hits came from the eight and nine spots in this lineup, which is Josh Young and Leo Tavares, which Leo Tavares had a phenomenal day. The Rangers went down early in this one because the Baltimore Orioles were really getting to Jordan Montgomery early. I mean, they got two runs off of him, a couple of weekly hit ground balls that just kind of found some holes, which is really frustrating for Montgomery, who you really wanted to see go deep into this game. But with the Rangers put five runs on the board in the second and four runs on the board in the third, that kind of made Jordan Montgomery sit down for a little while. And he was fine in those innings after coming back after those. I mean, the bottom of the second, after the Rangers scored five, he put up a shut up, shut down inning. Then after the Rangers dropped a four spot in the third inning, he also dropped a shutdown inning there. Rangers went quietly in the fourth, and that's when he allowed a couple of runs in the bottom of that fourth inning, came back for the fifth, and just did not quite have it. And in comes Cody Bradford. We'll talk about him a little bit in a second. But this Rangers team, I mean, they finally hit with runners in scoring position. And I, I think, I, I forgot who it was I was talking to on Twitter that brought up the stat that maybe we should change it or at least change the way we think about it because the Rangers did go five for 17 with runners in scoring position. But it wasn't a whole lot of extra base hits. It wasn't a whole lot of doubles. There was some sacrifice. There was some grounding into a double play, and that drove the run home, uh, or at least one run home. And the Rangers do a really good job. They did leave 10 men on base, but they do what they need to to get this team going, to get runs in. I mean, it, it, one of the at-bats of the game was Jonah Heim and his RBI single. It was an 0-2 count. They had runners at the corners. I believe it was uh, one or, or no, it was two outs. He had an 0-2 count against Grayson Rodriguez, and he had just swung through and missed fastball. And you had Evan Carter at first base, an 0-2 count, and the Rangers put on the hit and run, which I think might have just been honestly kind of a middle finger almost. Not really. It was a tactical play. But like the way they executed it was just got to be so deflating for the Baltimore Orioles, which if you remember in the ninth inning of the game on Saturday, seems like there was a hit and run miscue. Uh, Aaron Hicks was at the plate and Gunnar Henderson got the hit and run signal and Aaron Hicks did not. So of course, Gunnar Henderson was thrown out at second base by Jonah Heim. Not a great jump. Didn't really look like it was a jump for a steal. Looked more like a hit and run. And he kept looking back at the catcher to see, oh, is he swinging? Did he line this out? Is he, you know, popping up? Do I need to get back to first base? It wasn't really as much like a straight steal. I mean, Gunnar Henderson is a fast base runner and a smart base runner. And um, Aaron Hicks just looked kind of 
confused and perplexed. And the Orioles manager in the dugout looked confused and perplexed. And after the game, they said it was a miscommunication about a hit and run. Uh, Gunnar Henderson said the same thing. And that proved to be a huge out for the Rangers in that one. But the Rangers executed because with Evan Carter running to second base, at that time, Jorge Mateo had to cover it, and Jonah Heim just slaps the ball the opposite field for an RBI single. I believe at that point it gave the Rangers the lead because the Rangers had already gotten two runs off of the Leo Tavares RBI double uh, to tie the game after they went down to nothing. And then they poured on you know five runs in that second inning, four runs in the third, and it felt almost done at that point. It wasn't quite because there were some struggles from Jordan Montgomery and from the Rangers bullpen, but they did get a fantastic playoff debut from one Cody Bradford. We're going to talk about that, what the bullpen did, and why this team can never, ever make a game easy. But first, this word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Game Time. Getting tickets to events should not be easy. And, you know, there is no better place to get in on the action than Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute tickets and all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. All-in prices show your total upfront and show you know you're getting a great deal without all these hidden fees. Buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last minute tickets. And if you want to go see these Rangers potentially close out the Baltimore Orioles on game three at home on Tuesday, then I promise you game time is going to be the best place to find those tickets. Download the game time app, create an account and use code locked on. for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again, create an account and redeem code locked on MLB L O C K E D O N MLB for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Now, shout out to the everyday for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day on tomorrow's show. Might be doing a bit of a mailbag, looking at a little bit closer at the game one of this series and uh, a little bit of a general big picture preview of what's been going on versus what I expected in this series. The Rangers take on the Orioles this week and catch every pitch with the hometown broadcast on SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search Rangers. Now, this Rangers offense came up in a huge, huge way today. Incredibly consistent. Would have, would have always been nice to get a few more runs, but the Rangers offense did their job. And the Rangers pitching, well, was it a great day from Jordan Montgomery? Just four four innings for him in this one five runs four of which were earned just two strikeouts the one solo shot they just absolutely massive tater by Gunnar Henderson on a meatball that was hung right over the plate and uh you know it just was not his day it was a tough game for him having to go sit down for long stretches and get back up and then sit back down for long stretches and he wasn't particularly efficient. I mean, 88 pitches to get through four plus innings in this one was not the Jordan Montgomery that we saw against Tampa Bay. This offense is very good. They haven't been super great against lefties. And I think a lot of it had to do with the you know long stretches of getting up, sitting down the inconsistent or the, the smaller than he's used to strike zone. And let's face it. This Orioles team is also really good at not chasing and forcing guys to get in the zone against them. It felt like it would have been really easy for this Orioles team to just get down on themselves. I mean, you're, you're down nine to two before you get to the bottom of the third inning. And it would be so easy for this team to just be like, yep, we're going to roll over, keel over and die. Um, 
but they didn't. And all credit to these Baltimore hitters. This is what I talked about in the preview is this is a young team that doesn't freaking know any better. They don't know any better that they should be defeated. They're like, no, we've, we've overcome these huge deficits. We know this Rangers pen is shaky at best. And we've got the starter on the ropes. We are making him work and there's no reason we couldn't get him out early and then get to the long men in this Rangers pen or get to even the, the back end guys in this Rangers pen, if they can't continue to pour on. And you know what? For the most part, they did. They made this a game all the way to the ninth inning where the Rangers had to use their closer. But if they had just trusted Cody Bradford to go a little bit longer, maybe the Rangers wouldn't have had to get into that situation. But this is a great day for Cody Bradford. No, it wasn't a great day for Jordan Montgomery. Four of the four innings, he at least got him four innings. And that's the absolute bare minimum. But Cody Bradford and being trusted to go this deep into a game, I know it was a huge, huge lead. But Bruce Bochy, having trust in this kid, Cody Bradford, his second start in Major League Baseball was against this team, or at least his second start this season. I think that was just his second start in general because his, yeah, his MLB debut was like two weeks before that against the Atlanta Braves, where he was being sacrificed to the Wolves to buy some time for this rotation after a long road trip to just get everybody more rest. It's like, all right, here you go, kid. Here's the Atlanta Braves offense. They're kind of, they're kind of going to murder you, but uh, just, do what you can keep us in it. Maybe we'll see how that goes, but he was incredible in this one, three and two thirds innings, just three hits allowed four strikeouts for him. And he did leave in that eighth inning. And Josh Spores came in a high leverage guy, even though at that point it was, I believe a 10 to five lead. So a five run lead. So it's not, it wasn't out of the woods by any means. By the time he came into this, this is still very much, a game that was winnable for Baltimore. But Cody Bradford said, no, I'm going to sit you guys down. I'm going to be efficient. And even though he got some bad luck with that bloop double that ended up chasing him from the game, I don't know what on earth the Orioles third base coach was thinking, not sending Jorge Mateo at that point to go score the run, but he held him. It was two outs in comes Josh Spores, throws one pitch, gets one out and the Rangers head to the ninth inning and they get one run off of Yenny Cano, which is the closer of this Baltimore Orioles team. They forced the closer in, which again, you kind of have to at that point kind of try and stop the tide. I mean, give yourself some kind of a chance in this one. Then the Rangers decided to go with Brock Burke in the ninth inning and he had a walk and a hit. And that was enough. He got one out and then he gave up those two base runners. In comes Jose Leclerc. And I thought, oh, dear God, please don't put in Jose Leclerc. Not because I don't trust Jose Leclerc, but because this will be his back-to-back. He'll be throwing in back-to-back days, or he has now thrown in back-to-back days. And if the Rangers won this one, which they did, and if they had avoided using Jose Leclerc, that would have been nice. But now I think the Rangers are going to go to Jose Leclerc on in game three, no matter what the situation is, if they are winning, if they are losing, I don't think we see him at all, but this means that will be him pitching three games in four days. And I know he is healthy at this point, but it just feels like asking a lot of him. I mean, we didn't have a role. There was no role as Chapman available in this one. I'm glad that even if it, even though it got to desperation time, the Rangers didn't put in a Chapman because that could have made that feel even worse. And Leclerc comes in and he gives up an absolute bomb he pitched right down the middle to Aaron Hicks one of the few guys on this team with a uh with some postseason experience and Aaron Hicks had a phenomenal day two hits including driving in the first two runs of this game with that weak single but he also had that three run homer that made it incredibly nervous in the ninth inning 
I mean, my biggest concern with Jose the Clerk being thrown in there is that, well, well, what if the doors fall off for Jose the Clerk and you have nobody behind him? Josh Spores is already out of the game at that point through one pitch, and he's going to be throwing if, if the Rangers throw him in game three, which I imagine they will if they're in a winning situation or even if it's if it's close. I think that we'll see Josh Spores. I think we'll see Aroldis Chapman. We might see Spores for multiple innings because he only had to throw one pitch, but that will that would be you know three games in four days for Spores, but he literally only threw one pitch in this one. But you had Leclerc up and down and up and down, and that can wear on a guy for sure. And uh, I, was, I was a little concerned uh, not trusting Bradford to stay out there ended up being the right call putting spores in you know killing any kind of life that the Orioles had and that's why it was really tough seeing Montgomery only go through four innings not being able to get five because if he got five and then you got three and two thirds from Bradford then say he's in that situation you know runners on second third you bring in spores he gets one pitch and then you're out of it you don't have to use Burke or Leclerc at all in this one and Leclerc would be completely fresh for a game three and spores would be mostly fresh for a game three, but that's now not how it happened. And before this, the Rangers pen had been really good, really, really good in, in these situations in October, like just kind of incredibly unbelievably good. I mean, the Rangers had given up one run before this game from their pen, the first three games. And it was Dane Dunning giving up one solo shot as the piggyback starter. So not even, really technically the bullpen. You got one out from Will Smith in the game on Saturday. You got an inning of scoreless baseball from Josh Spores. You got an inning of scoreless baseball from Rollins Chapman and Jose Clerk. That is your ideal things are going well. What the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning of Spores to Chapman to Leclerc to finish it off in a game that was incredibly close. And the Rangers were able to rally and win close. They were able to rally and win big. Both of these um actually at least no, just this game was a comeback win. The Rangers held on to a lead late with a one-run lead late in the Saturday game. And I mean, this is huge. This is huge. This is what teams that go on deep runs do. They go to these big places, these places with some Baltimore fans that a huge credit to them stayed in this game all the way through. Even when their team was down 9-2 to two after two and a half innings, they did not give up hope. Yeah, there were some boos, and sometimes that helps. I mean, you might not be a fan who boos. I'm not personally a fan who boos. Sometimes, it, I mean, they were caring very loudly, and they were in it every single pitch, no matter if they were down by nine runs or five runs or three runs at the end. That cr- that crowd really kept that team in it, gave them some life, gave them some hope, and some sign of, hey, I know it's been a rough few years and this has been a fantastic season. It's, oh my goodness, the Minnesota Twins take it a 3 nothing lead on Framber Valdez and the Astros as I'm watching this live out of the corner of my eye. Um, but back to the fans of the Orioles. Like, honestly, a massive credit to them because it would be so easy. I mean, this team, I think that the first playoff series that Camden Yards hosted since 2014 it was, and they've lost a lot of games just like the Rangers the last few years. And, you know, they are a crowd that didn't really get a chance to really explode for some happiness that much on Saturday as the Rangers kind of kept the lid on it, but they were able to have some, some big moments and have some happy moments for Gunnar Henderson, getting his first playoff home run, Aaron Hicks, a huge playoff home run, taking a lead in their building in the bottom of the first inning against the Rangers best starter in Jordan Montgomery. That was a huge outing for them. Um, And, by no means, this team, this Baltimore team has never been swept this year. They have not been swept in 91 consecutive series. 
And you think they want to keep that streak alive? Yeah, they want to not only keep that streak alive, they want to reverse sweep the Rangers. They want to go take it to them. And the Rangers, by no means, have their job completely done. I mean, they're up 2-0. This is going to be an absolute dogfight coming up. We're going to look at why this is going to be an absolute dogfight, why I'm incredibly confident that the Rangers hopefully being able to close this out and a little bit more about the future of both of these teams and why it is looking like this is just the first of many many intense playoff series we're going to see between them over the next few years. But first, this word from our sponsors. Shout out to the everydayers for making Lockdown Rangers your first listen every single day on Tuesday. I will be doing a another live stream, hopefully right after the Rangers maybe end up finishing off a sweep. The Rangers take on the Orioles this week and catch every pitch with the hometown broadcast on SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search Rangers. Now, there was a lot of talk about the future of the Orioles throughout this broadcast. There's a lot of talk about, oh, the Orioles have so many young guys that are coming up and so many, you know, top prospects. And oh my gosh, the future is just so incredibly bright. And and it is, and it is. But it felt kind of like burying the Orioles throughout this broadcast, which again, I mean, I've got plenty of gripes with this broadcast, including John Smoltz and his analytics diatribe nonsense bullcrap that he was pulling and has pulled and will continue to pull throughout his entire broadcasting career. And I do think that this Orioles team is very young and fun and like not just scrappy. Like I talked about in the previews, like they're, they're a darn good team. They're a 101 win team that they are a juggernaut of a team that you don't win 101 games by being fun and kind of scrappy and annoying. No, this is a darn good team, but the Rangers have a darn good team as well. This is the best offense on the American League side of the bracket it is the deepest offense. It is an offense filled with young guys, young homegrown guys. Something you haven't been able to say about the Texas Rangers for a long, long time. You have Evan Carter, who has moved all the way up to the five hole in this lineup. You have Josh Young, the first two months of the year, rookie of the year, until Gunnar Henderson went on an absolute tear and Josh Young missed six weeks due to injury. And then you have Leo Tavares coming up with his reaching base three times, a couple of RBIs, a couple of run, actually three runs scored for him in this one. And this Rangers team isn't going anywhere either. And oh, by the way, they're talking about, well, how are they going to fit their their top prospect in all of baseball? Well, I don't know who he was talking about. I mean, I do know exactly who he's talking about. Jackson Holiday is a, a very good young prospect. And probably the best prospect in all of baseball, but I think he might not be a consensus top one prospect in all of baseball next year because there's a little guy named Wyatt Langford who had a pretty nice start to his minor league career. There's also a guy named Evan Carter who still has rookie eligibility left as far as uh, I remember how rookie eligibility works. Yeah, Evan Carter had 75 play, uh, plate appearances this year. I think that's still well within the range of being a rookie um, next year. And is probably going to be the favorite for AL rookie of the year next year with what Evan Carter is doing. I mean, the guy just does not stop raging base. He had the first couple of appearances of this or plate appearances of this postseason where he actually reached out of the zone a lot. There's one that was a ground into uh, say a fielder's choice where he expanded the zone on three straight pitches, which just felt very uncharacteristic for Mr. Evan Carter, but you know, still got to hit, got to walk, Still hitting 500 for the postseason, still has an OPS of 1806 
in this postseason, which leads the Texas Rangers. Oh, and down there, Josh Young, a 1264 OPS in the postseason. He's hitting 375. Leo Tavares in the nine hole, hitting 333 with an 844 OPS in the postseason. Oh, and you look at the two and three hitters in this lineup today. Corey Seager hitting 417 in the playoffs, 1300 OPS, and Mitch Garver hitting 333 with an 1166 OPS. Now, Mitch Garver is not here for the long haul. And I know Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon aren't prospects, but they're also here for the long haul. And the Rangers went all in this post, this, this deadline and the last couple of years with their spending. And as much as I like the Orioles, and I think they're in a really set up for a really great place the next couple of years. And uh, obviously really, really like the lockdown Orioles podcast shout out Connor Newcomb. Um, and he's got a really, you know, great team to cheer for, for the next couple of years. But the thing that Connor has talked about a lot on his show, and that I have noticed uh, very much so with the Orioles is that they're not a team that's very aggressive in terms of how they spend. They are incredible, incredible at young player development. I mean, look at all these young players that are here for them that are flying on the radar. I mean, Adley Rutschman, uh, Gunnar Henderson, Austin Hayes, um, Aaron Hicks, not, not young, but Cedric Mullins. I mean, Jorge Mateo with a four hit day in this one, an absolute pest to the range. I mean, a huge, huge day for him. Um, but the thing that they haven't done is spend money. I mean, one of the guys who's top five on the Orioles payroll this year is Chris Davis. Yeah, you heard me right. Chris Davis, the former Ranger great, the former Oriole great, had a couple of years in, in Baltimore that were absolutely phenomenal, got a huge contract, and then fell off an absolute cliff. And because the Orioles have been so cheap, they decided to, you know, do take the um Oh, who is it? I can't think of um exactly who it is the Bobby Bonilla, the route in, you know make that payout go about uh, one and a half, two and a half, I think three and a half million, a couple of years every year until Chris young is like 52 or something. It is a long time that that's going to be on the books. And he is one of their top five highest paid players this year. And I think at most he's making it three and a half million dollars. That is, that is difficult. And they've also talked about how hard it's going to be for them to, you know, maintain their core of these players and, and sign them to long-term deals. And that is not something that bodes super well. And, at the deadline, this was not a team that did a whole lot. I mean, I talked in the preview show about how their starting pitching actually ended up being a lot better than people thought it would be. I mean, the guys who they have as their starters, I, I know Grayson Rodriguez didn't go very well in this one, ending in two thirds, five runs, six hits, four walks, did have two strikeouts. Um, but the guy who they traded for is Jack Flaherty. And he had a, a three walks, two hits, one run in two innings of work in total mop-up relief in this one. Rangers really could have done a lot more to get to Jack Flaherty in this one, but he's the only guy who they got to the trade deadline. And I really thought that they could have shored up the relief a little bit more. They did also get Shintaro Fujinami, but Shintaro Fujinami didn't even make their postseason roster for this ALDS. Now he might, if they end up pulling off this reverse sweep and beating the Rangers and heading to the ALCS. But that's two guys that they made trades for. And they weren't super consequential. None of them are making playoff starts for them. Now the Rangers, on the other hand, went and got Jordan Montgomery. And I know this line doesn't look pretty, but what he did in that wild card game to set the tone was absolutely huge. And what he did down the stretch to keep this Rangers team afloat when they needed every single inning, every single start from every starter they could get, the Rangers were aggressive there. And when it comes to the offseason and spending money, I know the Rangers are 
I don't know who the Rangers are going to go get, but they're going to go throw money at somebody. They still need some starting pitching next year, and we'll see uh, what Max Scherzer looks like if he comes back in this postseason, depending on how deep around the Rangers make, depending on how healthy he is. Again, I'm still not banking on anything from that, even if he comes back. I don't know if he's going to be a starter. I don't know how you just throw him right out there and, and start him in ALCS Game 3 or whatever after he hasn't pitched since the middle of September. But the Rangers also have Jacob DeGrom coming back at some point next year. You don't really know when. I mean, you're tentatively assuming it'll be the midway point in the season. And uh, you're hoping that Max Scherzer, say he doesn't pitch the rest of this year and he just comes back and is healthy for next year. Um, then he's still going to be an older pitcher. And the Rangers you know, had, what, seven guys they trusted coming out of camp this year to be starters. And they went and traded for two starting pitchers at the deadline and two relief arms at the deadline because they knew they needed and they did. And here they are in October and game one of the ALDS. They had to do basically a bullpen game with Dane Dunning and Andrew Heaney tag teaming. I mean, you can use all the starting pitchers you're going to get. And this Orioles team, I think they're going to continue to get better. Kyle Bradish had a phenomenal year. I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be one of the best pitchers in baseball within the next couple of years. I mean, his stuff is just so good. And they've got a lot of guys in their bullpen. They're not going to have the mountain for next year as he's had Tommy John surgery. But Yannier Cano is, is a really good reliever. They've got a lot, a lot of other guys. Like D.L. Hall really impressed me in that game on Saturday with what he did. Tyler Wells has had some moments. But in these big moments, you need big stars. You need guys like Corey Seager. I know Corey Seager didn't end up getting an RBI today, but he had five walks and he completely changed the game plan because the Orioles were so terrified of him beating him that he saw one pitch really even close to hittable all game long. And it opened up the game for Mitch Garver and Adoles Garcia to have great games and, and drive in runs and guys later on and Evan Carter and Jonah Heim and, later down on in the lineup and Josh Young and Leo Tavares. You need, sometimes you just need those star A1 guys that you dish out. Not everybody has to spend, you know, $300 million on a player, but to extend your own guys, which it seems like already with these, you know, second year player and Adley Rutschman and first year player and Gunnar Henderson, they're already thinking about, I don't know how we can keep these guys on the roster in four or five years, whenever their contract gets up. Like that's, that's not a great thing. And I think that is a big difference with the Rangers being aggressive. It might end up backfiring. It probably will mean that their win of contention will be shorter than the Orioles. It might not be, but I think right now going all it all in, you can see the difference between these two teams. Now it might end up working out. It might not. I mean, this thing is by far like not anywhere close to finished, but the Rangers did the hardest thing they could do. I said this on the preview show on Friday, and I will say it again. If the Rangers went in and took game one, I thought there's a chance, pretty decent one that this team sweeps. Now the Rangers have taken the first two in Baltimore, punched them in the mouth. And Oh, by the way, game three, they have Nate Eovaldi on the Hill looking like the best version of himself last week against Tampa Bay Rays. Hopefully he can go out to the first game, first playoff game played by the Texas Rangers in this new stadium, close out and send them to their first ALCS in 12 freaking years. And I don't care who they're facing, whether it's the Twins, whether it's the Astros. I am so incredibly ready for it. This team is a juggernaut. People we put on notice. I don't care if they don't get the respect they deserve by beating a 99-win team and a 100-win team to go to the ALCS. This team is darn good, and everybody worth a darn is that's paying attention knows that this Rangers team is for real, and they are one win away 
from the ALCS. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you all so much for listening and subscribing and commenting if you're joining me live or joining me later. Thank you all so much. And until next time, don't forget to enjoy playoff Texas Rangers baseball.